0: I don't know if you've ever been somewhere, and you've been essentially by yourself, and saw something, and you wished as though um, there was somebody else there for you to tell about something that you saw, something that was so out of place, so odd, so bizarre, you saw it, and you looked around, and you said, where where, can I just, and there was nobody. I had a moment like that years ago. um, Back when, um, this was back when I was in high school. I was taking a couple buses uh, back home from school, public transportation, right? And uh, I'd gotten off of one bus and come to the place where I was waiting to go onto the second bus, and it was just one of those. Uh, days where there was there happened to be nobody else uh, at that time. I think I might have left a little bit later or earlier, I don't remember, but there was no one else there waiting with me, just me waiting for the next bus. This was, where I was waiting was a busy sort of intersection, it's a place called Five Points in Northeast Philly, if you were there, you know where that is. Just standing there waiting for the bus. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a deer, starts running in the middle of the street like it is scared and it just it looked crazy it had blood all over its side i think it had possibly gotten hit or or something and it was literally running in the middle of the street came around the corner came onto common avenue right in front of me headed right up the street off to northeast high school and it was gone and I looked around, and nobody was there for me to say this thing. You may or may not believe me, but I'm telling you what happened. I saw it with my own eyes. This, was, this is a vivid picture in my mind, right? And it's a vivid picture because it was something unexpected, right? It was something that didn't make sense for the, the time and place that I was seeing it. I was, not, I was totally <coughs> and completely caught off guard by this. And it's a vivid image that stuck in my mind. When you come into the New Testament, there are certain vivid images that we find. And some of them we know to be vivid, and others are not. We don't understand them to be vivid because maybe we don't understand the uh, the context. But one of the most vivid images in all of the New Testament is that of a man running kind of like that deer that was just running there is a vivid image in the new testament of a man running Um, these days people run for all, all kinds of reasons i think probably the main reason is uh you know for health or fitness right um some of us are better at that than, than others, um, but in Jesus' world, in the time when Jesus was speaking, the more senior you were in a community, the more as you aged and, and you became more senior in the community, um, the less likely you were to even walk fast. Because what that would show was a lack of, um, a, a lack of dignity, or it would give it would give off a lack of gravitas, if you will. So when Jesus tells a story about a man who was running, this was designed in Jesus' story to have the same effect. on his audience, as if, um, you know, the the president were to show up to the State of the Union with, um, you know, swimming trunks on. Right? That's the same sort of effect. A total loss of dignity. And when we hear the story that Jesus tells, And we discover why the man is running. The effect becomes even more shocking. The man is running to greet someone. And not just any someone. Someone who has put a curse on him. Someone who has brought disgrace to his whole family. And we see this in Luke chapter 15. And we call this the parable of the prodigal's son. But you might as well call it the parable of the running father. Because only when we understand why this man is running will we really understand what Jesus meant when he taught us to pray Father, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. We need, I think, shocking stories like that of that running father coming to greet his repentant son. I think we need shocking stories like that because in the time and the culture we live today, people have either forgotten about forgiveness or have sort of trivialized it. Because once you sort of take morality out of the equation and you go with the philosophy that says, well, you know, if it, if it feels good, do it, what happens? there isn't anything to forgive. If you feel hurt by something, our culture says, well, you just retreat into your private world, you know, pretend it didn't happen. Right? In that kind of world, I don't need God to forgive me. And what? I don't need to forgive anybody else. Instead of genuine forgiveness, in our culture, we've kind of settled for just uh, this vague notion of tolerance. You know, I'll just try and tolerate you. At best, that's a you know a poor man's forgiveness. And at worst, that sort of mentality is a way of sweeping the real issues in human life under the carpet. Imagine with me for a second, if the father in, that, in the story of the prodigal son, if that father, if his intent was just to tolerate the son, he would not have been running down the road to meet him. See, forgiveness, it's richer and higher and harder and more shocking than we usually think. And Jesus' message to us offers something genuine, the genuine thing, and insists that we can't accept any sort of substitute forgiveness. So as we come to this fifth petition here in the Lord's Prayer, and as we seek to pray it, it can really be a sort of a healing element in our life. It can help to heal kind of our own spiritual life if it seems fractured, and heal the brokenness that exists in human relationships. So this is the second of the petitions that that have to do with how we should pray for ourselves. And it tells us how to pray on this matter of forgiveness. So within this petition, (coughs) there's actually two parts. There's an explicit part and an implicit part. There's an explicit prayer for forgiveness. So in Matthew chapter six, verse 12, we see the explicit prayer for forgiveness. Forgive us our debts. And then also, there is an implicit prayer for a forgiving spirit to have a spirit of forgiveness that is as we have also forgiven our debtors so Jesus is teaching us here in that our in terms of our prayer life and how we deal with forgiveness that there's a request for personal forgiveness and a request for a forgiving Spirit. So let's start with this idea of a request for a forgiving spirit. Augustine, who was an um, early church theologian, called this request, this pers- particular request here in the Lord's Prayer, the Terrible Petition. That's fascinating. Why would, he, why would he say that? Well, because he realized that if we, if we pray, follow me here, if we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, if you pray that with an unforgiving heart, what are we actually praying then? we're actually asking god to do what to not forgive us of our debts and here debts means what sins For- forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us just so just so you know jesus doesn't want anyone to misunderstand us, misunderstand him here, if you look in verses 14 and 15, (coughs) he goes on to say, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So as Jesus was speaking to the people he was speaking to in this time, this was not a new idea for them. This correlated with their understanding of the Old Testament scriptures, and we see that the New Testament has much to say about this as well. We already went through the Beatitudes back in chapter 5, and you'll remember Matthew 5, 7 says what? Blessed are the merciful, for what? That they will be shown mercy. Mercy. that a merciless unforgiving heart will not receive forgiveness and will not receive mercy. In James chapter 2:13 it says something similar, judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then later on in the gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 18 we have the parable of the unmerciful or unforgiving servant. One of my most favorite parables. And in that parable, the parable of a man who was forgiven a debt of 10,000 talents by his master. And there's various ideas of how to do that conversion into today's time in terms of money. Think billions. It's a parable of a man who's forgiven for billions in debt by his master and then refused to forgive his own servant for thousands. Thousands. And we could take time to dig into that parable. It's, it's extremely powerful. But I, I just want you to hear the very end of the conclusion in Matthew chapter 18, 32 to 35. This is how it ends. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. <coughs> I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Those are sobering words. So there really isn't much lack of clarity around what Jesus is saying here. If you do not forgive men their sins, your father Will not forgive your sins. I I hope this is not you, but you may have come across people who have a mentality of yeah, I never forgive, I don't do it. You know, I cherish my grudges. You know, I just I just hold on to them. Well, to anyone that says I never forgive. I would have to say, well, I hope you never sin too. It's it's really an attitude of pride in never forgetting a wrong. The mentality that, that takes pride in that. That somehow makes an unforgiving spirit a virtue. That sort of mentality. We can see how forgiveness is, is not going to be applied there. And also, Jesus doesn't really put any any exceptions here, does he? He doesn't say we are to forgive other people's sins, provided that they're not too bad. Go ahead. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, well, forgive, provided, you know, that there are extenuating circumstances. I I don't see the out here. That we are to forgive them all, however egregious or repeated. And if we don't, there are implications for our own forgiveness. (coughs) I want you to think about this idea. Think about how unforgiveness in your own life has impacted how you pray. That Maybe there are times when Our own unforgiving spirit, it kind of, our prayers go up and they just kind of die on our lips. See, if this is is where we're at, then the Lord's Prayer becomes nothing more than what? When we pray this, but if we come there with an unforgiving heart, this really becomes kind of like a self-inflicted curse, doesn't it? It changes it into a prayer of doom rather than a prayer of blessing, which it should be. If we pray, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors with unforgiving hearts, we're asking God not to forgive us. And really, if we will not forgive, what does it say about the authenticity of our faith? And I realize that's a sobering statement, but but I think it's important, because when God's grace comes into our hearts, it makes us forgiving. That really and, and hear me this morning, we demonstrate whether we have been forgiven by whether or not we will forgive. It's the idea that failure to forgive one another, it's not a matter of failing to live up to a moral teaching. Don't think of it that way. Failing to forgive is like cutting off the branch that you are sitting on. Think of it that way. The only reason for being people of the kingdom, the only reason for being a child of God, is that the forgiveness of sins comes from God. So if you don't live out forgiveness, you are actually denying the very basis of your own new existence, of your new life. So, if you just refuse to forgive what what reason would you would there be for that? You'd have to think about grace applied to you you 'd have to think about am I my, am I myself unforgiven and, and I understand these are hard words, but I think there are words that need to be heard by by people maybe who, if you aspire to be religious or just attend church or just live some kind of outwardly moral life, but if you hold a death grip on your grudges, someone who will not forgive because of some infraction, No desire to pardon. Someone who actually nourishes hatred, cherishes it. Folks who fall into this category would need to stop and take honest inventory of their lives and think about how they understand and know who Jesus is. Now when we were back in the Beatitudes and we talked about blessed are the merciful, we put some qualifications around that, that Beatitude. So today when I'm talking about um, this, I'm not referring to those who find that you know maybe bitterness and hatred recur even though Forgiveness has been given, right? That happens. Forgiveness is offered, but we struggle with the bitterness. That's, that's not what we're talking about here, right? The fact that you have forgiven and that you continue to stay in this state of forgiving, that is a sign of grace, what we're not talking about are, are people who are struggling with forgiveness. It's those who have no desire to forgive, whose souls are in danger. Also, you might be in a situation some right maybe maybe you've been recently sort of offended right and there's still sort of kind of a you know an emotional sort of shock to it and maybe not able to properly respond respond with forgiveness <coughs> at the time but the fundamental point is if we are christians we can and will forgive. So there's a question before us. As we pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As we pray, is this this a curse upon us or a blessing upon us? Are our most precious possessions our grudges? Do we pride ourselves on the fact that we never forgive? I hold the line. If so, we have to stop and take a look at the authenticity of our faith. And really, it's actually merciful for God to kind of put it in this way. Because when you're thinking about this understanding of forgiveness and its connection to our faith, it, this, is, this doesn't require any sort of elaborate reasoning process to determine whether or not you know God. There's no special knowledge that's required here. All that it requires is what? Honesty. Honesty. Does the state of your heart regarding forgiveness indicate grace or not? So this fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer not only helps us to understand our faith, but it also helps us to kind of monitor our own spiritual health. Tell me if you agree with this. I think we all have this unhealthy tendency to be more conscious of the wrongs done to us than the wrongs that we have done to others. That's our bent. When others are hurt, oh, come on, sensitive, but when we're wrong, what happens? We tend to exaggerate our own hurt and then also exaggerate the evil of the offense. In our own case, we'll, ex- we'll accept our own excuses too easily. That's what we do. But in someone else's case, I, don't, I think we often don't accept their excuses easily enough. When it comes to my own sins, I think it's a safe bet, maybe not 100%, but I think it's a safe bet that the excuses that I come up with are not really as good as I think. And then when it comes to others' sins against me, I think it's also a safe bet, maybe not 100%, that the excuses that they have are probably a little better than than I think. More than that, these unhealthy tendencies around forgiveness and uh, unhealthy tendencies to take offense and to offend, they really do take a toll on our relationships. Our quickness to take offense and our just reticence to forgive put a strain, they put a strain on our relationships. An unforgiving spirit will no doubt bring isolation and you kind of go down the road of bitterness. You go down a road of self-pity. And then it's a sort of a compounding sort of thing. We become even more fault-finding and hurt and unforgiving and in unhealth in our spiritual life. And not only do our relationships sort of suffer, our own healthy relationship with God, Becomes tepid. It's this sense that when we operate in unforgiveness, it's almost as though um, it's almost as though there's kind of a, a ceiling blocking us from heaven that our spiritual health suffers. But if you look on the other hand, the benefits, the benefits of a forgiving spirit, you cannot quantify it. They are incalculable. And, and the, the utmost benefit that I can tell you this morning is this, that we are never closer to God or more like God than when we forgive. Hear me this morning. We are never closer to God, or more like him than when we forgive. When we forgive, we are like the Father and like the Son. What does Jesus pray? upon the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. You've probably heard the the famous quote, to err is human. Error just means to make error or to do wrong or to make mistakes, an antiquated phrase, err. To err is human. That's true. But there's a second part to that phrase. To err is human, to forgive is divine. That is also true. You are never more beautiful or noble or healthy than when you forgive. For then you are like God. It's remarkable. It's too easy to get caught up in that hold the line mentality of, you know, me, you know, I'm that I'm that guy. I never forgive. It's too easy. I'm proud of I'm proud of it. I hold on to it. No one crosses me. I always, I keep track. I I pay those accounts. To forgive is divine. What is then to not forgive? Imagine. So if you go back to what Augustine called this petition, this terrible petition, it really is also a gracious prayer because it kind of monitors and it gives us the opportunity to monitor our own spiritual health. Are we healthy, forgiving people? So that's the implicit prayer, this prayer for a forgiving spirit. But there was the explicit prayer, which was just what? Forgive us our debts. The prayer for forgiveness. Who must you be to pray this prayer? What's the qualification you must have to pray the prayer? Forgive us our debts. Who prays that prayer? A debtor prays that prayer. And a debtor being what? A sinner. I think, (coughs) at times, folks will pray this and repeat this prayer and not really see themselves as what? Sinners. I think at times people will pray the Lord's Prayer with kind of a uh, mentality <clears throat> that sort of allows them inwardly to say what? Well, I'm praying this, but you know, I'm, I'm praying it along with the people who really need to pray it. Right? I think many people come before this prayer and Don't have an understanding of their guilt before God. Therefore, this prayer, it just becomes just a self satisfied sort of thing that we say. But in reality, it can only properly be prayed by those that are debtors. Are we debtors? If we are followers of Christ, if we have placed our trust in Christ, our sins have been paid for by the blood of Christ. But this prayer teaches us that we should engage daily in the ongoing confession of sin. And in fact, to do so is a sign of spiritual maturity and health. So as we come to look at this fifth petition, we see that it's telling us to do two things. First, we ask God to forgive us. We come before him as debtors. This request for forgiveness follows this request for our daily sustenance, right? Give us this day our daily bread. This coming right after it should tell us that not that this is less important than our physical provision and needs, but our craving for bringing our petitions and our, and our sins before God should actually be more than our craving for our physical needs. And if you're here this morning and, and you don't, you haven't had your debts canceled and forgiven, you can ask God to forgive you by the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. You can do that. But the second part, tells us to to forgive those who have wronged us. To do this for the health of your soul. (coughs) Do it for the health of of the church. And by that I mean not just this church, but the church at large. Because if you look at the church as a whole, there's a There's a lack of forgiveness from God's children. Do it for the sake of the world. This world around us that has not discovered what Christ is like, it can. This world can. Know that. If you and I can truly forgive As we come to close this morning, just take an opportunity to think, to examine your own heart. What sort of unforgiveness are we holding on to? Why do we hold on to it? You know, there's a saying that unforgiveness is the poison that we drink thinking it will kill someone else. Examine your heart. See, see where those unforgiving patterns are and make a commitment to God. To forgive. You have been given the gift of opportunity and time. You have it. Take it. See, forgiveness, we cannot look at it as some sort of psychological trick. It is not, it is not a psychological trick. It is actually miraculous. It is a miracle. And God can help you do it. So above all, of all those motivations, do it for yourself, do it for the other person, do it for the church, do it for the world. Above all, do it for God. From the reading that, that Amelia read for us, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So this terrible p- petition, right, it can curse us or bless us. Do we dare to pray it? Can we pray it? Lord, forgive our debts as we we have also forgiven our debtors. Yes, my sins have all been paid for once and for all on the cross. But Jesus taught us to pray for forgiveness as part of our ongoing communion with God. What do we need? We need a fresh understanding need a fresh experience. We need a fresh understanding and experience of his grace and of his forgiveness when? Every day. Every day. There's no greater state to be in than knowing that in God's sight you are clean. He has forgiven every sin that you've ever committed. And this is something we all desperately need. But what do we have to do? We have what to ask for it. So ask for it. As his child to the Father. Ask for it. We thank you, Lord. Let's worship the Lord together.